All right, Ezra, let's open with a word of prayer and we'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. As we begin this new book in the Bible for us, our first time through it as a church, that Lord, we would see what you want us to see, that you would apply it to our lives, that you would convict us where we need conviction, comfort us where we need to be comforted. And Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. If you did not hear, they did have to postpone the Israel trip. We just got word on that yesterday. So it's been planned for a long time, but it's been postponed. And um, we've always said if, if the government doesn't think it's safe, then it's not good for us to go. But as long as they would let us come, we were going to go, and that's been changed. So um, that's okay. God is, God is good, and we'll go in God's timing. Amen? Amen? So let me give you a quick background on Ezra. So if you were here for First and Second Chronicles, Chronicles were written by, more than likely, Ezra, and it was written to the children of Israel who were in Babylon, who had been in Babylon for 70 years in bondage. Remember, because they are of their idolatry, they were carried away captive. And so First and Second Chronicles, we saw the life of King David highlighted in First Chronicles, the life of King Solomon and the kings that came after him in Second Chronicles. And what we saw was the children of Israel were just wicked. They'd gotten caught up in idolatry. There wasn't one good or godly king after Solomon in the northern kingdom of Israel. In the southern kingdom of Judah, there were some good and godly kings, but a lot of evil kings. But in the end, Israel was carried away, and then sometime later, so was uh, Judah. So now as we come to Ezra, Ezra has two separate main parts in this book. So Ezra continues the Old Testament narrative of 2 Chronicles by showing how God fulfilled his promise to return his people to the land of promise after 70 years in exile. Ezra is a priest and a scribe. So he's somebody who wrote down God's word, but he was also a man who served as a priest. So this is second Exodus, if you will. Remember, they were delivered out of bondage in Egypt about 500 years before this. And God brought them into the land of promise. They're in the land of promise until they had forsaken God to the point that he carried them away into the last time they were bondage for 430 years in Egypt. This time it was for 70 years in Babylon. So they've been in Babylon for 70 years. And because of their ungodliness, because of their idolatry, and now we're going to see in Ezra God's instruction and how God, the history lesson of how God is bringing them back to Jerusalem. So God, after 70 years, it had been prophesied in Jeremiah that they would be taken captive. They would be captive for 70 years, and then God would bring them back to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem, when they come back, as we will see, there's nothing left of it. It's been flattened. It's been leveled. Temple's gone. City walls down. And so in Ezra, two main points we'll see. The first six chapters, chapter one to six, is a 22-year period of time from 538 BC to 516 BC. And it's led by a man by the name of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, during those 22 years, is going to help rebuild the temple. So there's going to be a percentage of the people that are in Babylon. The, we'll see it tonight's text. King Cyrus is going to defeat Babylon. He's a Persian. He's going to defeat Nebuchadnezzar. 
and Belshazzar. And so he's going to come along and he's going to be the new king. And he's going to be the one that God moves on his heart and tells the children of Israel, you can go home. You can go back. As we will see tonight, they're going to be told after 70 years, they can go home and only a small remnant's going to go. Because after 70 years in Babylon, they're going to love Babylon so much and be so comfortable in this idolatrous, wicked place that they don't want to leave. And you know what? We can all get so comfortable in the world that we cease to want God's highest. Amen? And we're going to see that in tonight's text. So chapter 1 through 6, we're going to see this man by the name of Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple. In chapter 7 through 10, which is only one year from 458 to 457 BC, led by Ezra, they're going to rebuild the spiritual condition of the people. So the first leader that's going to come in is going to rebuild the city, start rebuilding the city. When we get to Nehemiah, they're going to rebuild the walls around the city, right? That's what Nehemiah is about. So Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are really the last three historical books in the Old Testament. During that history time of those three books, all these other prophets are living during those times, Malachi and Zechariah, right? Isaiah, right? So all these people live during that time. And these are kind of the last three history books. And we're going to see it again in Ezra, then in Nehemiah, and then in Esther. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah are talking about the people that left Babylon and went back to Jerusalem. Esther talks about the people that stayed in Babylon. Remember, because she's going to end up being what there? The queen. And she's going to be seen by a Persian man who wants to make her queen. And so we're going to, when we get to Esther, it's all the people that decided to stay in Babylon. And Ezra and Nehemiah, it's all the people that fled Babylon and went back to Judah, back to Israel, and they're rebuilding Jerusalem. So it's a great history lesson. And again, without these three books, uh, we would be lost on that connection. And how do they get back there? So only a remnant is going to choose to leave and we will see them first rebuilding the temple itself. And then Ezra is going to be rebuilding. God's going to use him to rebuild the condition of the people. So between these two accounts, it's about six decades during which Esther lives and rules as queen in Persia. So we're going to see those two things running side by side. One of the key words in Ezra is the word is temple. It's the most, one of the most used words uh, in the book. In Ezra 6, Ezra records the completion and dedication of the temple, which stimulates the obedience of the remnant to keep the Passover and separate themselves from the filth of the nations of the land. So they're going to rebuild the temple, but the temple won't mean anything if they don't reestablish worship of the true and living God. And we'll see all of that take place largely will be put into place by Ezra. So Ezra fills the history of the first two returns of the ba from Babylonian captivity, and Nehemiah will cover the third. So they were taken captive in three waves. And the first wave was a young man by the name of Daniel. And so he's actually in a position of authority through all the kings during that 70-year period. Daniel shows up in Babylon when he's probably about 13 years old. And if you were here for Daniel chapter 1, uh, and we're going to pick up in Daniel 2 after we finish Revelation, hopefully this Sunday. The following Sunday will be in Daniel. But he ends up being thrown into a lion's den 70 years later when he's in his 80s. And so kings come and go and come and go, and Daniel's still there. And I truly believe what we'll see in tonight's text, that Cyrus is being impacted 
It doesn't use Daniel's name, but I got an idea that because he's like number two in command and he stays there, he's the one, no doubt, that's saying to Cyrus, probably a good idea if you let them go back. And he's going to listen because Cyrus, you're going to read this and you might think Cyrus is a good guy. He's not. But what Cyrus does is he, he's a polytheist. What, what that means is he believed in all gods. And so he thought, if I cover my bases and do what's right in the eyes of all the gods, one of them has got to be the right one. Now, there's a problem with that. If you believe in more than one God, you don't believe in the true and living God. Amen? It's Jesus plus nobody else. And so we're going to see Cyrus in tonight's text. And again, he's a huge improvement in many ways to Nebuchadnezzar and you know, Darius and all these other, Belshazzar, all these other guys uh, that we'll see in the book of Daniel. So quick outline. First, we're going to see the return of Jerusalem under Zerubbabel. We'll see that in verses 1 through the end of chapter 2 that we'll look at next week. Then we'll see the construction of the temple from chapter 3 to chapter 6. And then we'll see the second return under Ezra and the reestablishing of the sacrificial system and the worship of the true and living God. So that's Ezra. It's only 10 chapters. So it took us like 14 months to go through first and second Chronicles. We'll go through this book in about two and a half months. So if you're here for the next 10 or so, I was going to do two chapters tonight. You see how many verses are in chapter two? 70. 70. I was going to try to get through both of those. That's not going to happen. It's just a list of names though, but we'll get to it next week. All right. So if you have your outline, grab it. I tell the message, God's will, God's way, and God's time. God's will, God's way, and God's time. When they get to Babylon, there's no doubt some of them that after five years or 10 years or 15 years realized we blew it and they're crying out to God. And they think any time now, God's going to deliver us. And there's 55 more years left. And often when we pray, we want God to move in our time. And here's the reality. Often it's going to last longer than you'd hoped. It's not going to happen as quickly as you want. Now, the good news is God's always on time. So even when we think, Lord, what in the world are you doing? Why is it taking so long? He had already planned. We already know from Jeremiah that he, they were going to be there 70 years. If these guys had been reading their scrolls, they would have known. We're going to be here for 70 years because it said so. And God's word had already told them. So God's will, God's way, and God's time. Number one, God will even use those that are lost to bring about his perfect will and his perfect time. It may take longer than we think or want to get through our times of great trials and difficulty. It will be over when God says it's over. God is sovereign and he's in control. And we can also trust in the prophecies found in God's word down to the letter. We're going to see several prophecies tonight right out of Jeremiah and out of Isaiah that are fulfilled to the letter because God knows what he's doing. Amen? So God can even use unsafe people to bring about his will. And we'll see that with Cyrus tonight. Number two, while many are called, few will respond. So Cyrus is going to come along and some of those same people that after 15 or 20 years or 30 years were crying out to go home, now they're told they can go. And most of them don't because they've gotten so comfortable in Babylon, they don't want to go back to Jerusalem. And they know because now Babylon has become Persia at this point, 
right? They overrun it. It's not Babylon anymore because Cyrus is a uh, king of Persia, so it becomes part of the Persian empire. But it was a developed nation. It had everything the world could want. Jerusalem had been leveled to the ground. The people going back to Jerusalem are going to be on a camping trip when they get there. There's no houses. There's no walls. There's no stores. There's nothing. You're going to start all over. We're going to play Survivor. Let's go, right? And they got to travel. And by the way, it's a 900-mile walk. 900-mile walk. In those days, they estimate that would take about four months carrying all the people. So who wants to go for four months to a place that's got nothing? Who wants to go? Let's go. And, you know, and small remnant recognizes that this is what God wants. And you know what? When you know it's the Lord, you'll go anywhere. Amen? When God is in it, I get to go do what God wants me to do, and it's a get to. It's not a have to. Amen? So while many are called, few will respond. There's comfort Comfort is the enemy of calling. You know what we don't do more for the Lord? Because we're just too stinking comfortable right where we are. One of the greatest, one of the greatest roadblocks to being used by God is being too comfortable in this world. I'm not going to ask you guys, you're here on a Thursday night. You probably all are ready for it. But I would get, venture to guess if you asked a thousand professing Christians, how many of them would love for the rapture to be tomorrow, the less than half would raise their hand. A lot of them would say, I got more stuff I want to do here. I want to get married if I'm not married. I want to have grandkids. I've been trying to get that promotion at work. I got a trip planned to Hawaii. You know, that kind of stuff. Heaven's better than all of it. Can I get an amen to that? We're going to get to heaven and go, dude, I could have come here. I could have been eating tacos the whole time. Why was I worried about that? Why was I eating health food? I could have been here sooner. Amen. You know, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But sadly... This is Babylon. They're hanging out. It's so comfortable. I know that's what God wants, but dude, I'm comfortable here. I'm just going to stay. And sadly, that's the plight of many Christians today. We're more comfortable in the world than we are fearful of God and being faithful to him. Doing what is right is rarely easy, and doing what is easy is rarely right. It's always easy to stay where it's comfortable. And sadly, it is possible to have a saved soul in a wasted life. May we not miss out on living a life that will impact eternity. I was talking to, uh, probably going to have him come out. His name is Sammy Tanaga. And he wrote this. He's a Muslim. He grew up Muslim. He wrote a book called uh, My Muslim Friend. And he has, by the grace of God, God has used him to lead thousands of Muslims to Jesus. He grew up in Egypt. I had him come speak at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. And he called me tonight and he's like, hey, I'd love to come on a Sunday or a Thursday sometime. Let me know when I can come. And because uh, his heart is to see Muslims saved and shouldn't that be our heart? And he, and he says, look, I know how to talk to them. He wrote a book about it. It was crazy because my son was going to the Bible college at Marietta and he'd never done this in his life. And he called me up after listening to Sammy teach and he started reading his book and he said, dad, you have to have this guy at your church. My son was 18. It's like, you have to have this guy at your church. So we may do that because look, is there a problem with, with Israelis and Muslims right about now? Is there a problem between Christians and Muslims right about now? Do we want to see them safe? So we'll probably have him come sometime soon. Number three, where God guides, God provides. So here's what's going to happen. It says it right in the text. The Spirit stirs them up. Holy Spirit stirs them up to go. And as they're stirred by the Spirit, most are going to go, yeah, not so much. The others are going to recognize, look, if the Holy Spirit has called me to do it, God will provide. I'll just step out in faith and I can trust that the Lord, when we get there, 
He'll provide everything that we need. And even if he doesn't, I'd rather be in the desert with the Lord than in the palace without him. Amen? And so know that you know that you know. We'll talk about this and God's calling upon your life. Heed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know when the Holy Spirit is prompting you? Amen? You feel the Holy Spirit head slap, right? The, the conviction, the Holy Spirit. Tonight, today I'm studying and I'm a little bit behind and I'm studying and there's a, my pest control guy is there. And while I'm studying, the Lord will just not let me go. Like, go get a Gatorade and take it down to that guy. He looks sweaty and hot and he needs to, you need to talk to him about Jesus. And I'm like, I'm trying. so I go down there with my Gatorade and I start talking to him about the Lord and I give him my card and talk to him and ask him how I can pray for him. But see, that's the point. Just those little, you know what? You know, it's like that still small voice. And the closer we walk with the Lord, the more easily we hear it. Amen? But when we're caught up in the things of the world, it's the Lord speaking to us, and we don't listen. Know that you know that you know when God calls you to trust that he will sustain and provide for you even in the face of the greatest trials. No obstacle is too great for God. When you start saying, well, we can't go because of this. Well, guess what? Is God greater than whatever that is? The answer is always yes. And by the way, when God guides, you'll never be alone. Finally, our God is a God of order and detail. Nothing is left to chance with God. He's, we're going to see that all the stuff that, not all of it, unfortunately, but much of the stuff that was stolen by King Nebuchadnezzar out of the temple is going to be returned. And they're going to be counting all of it. How many knives, how many bowls, how many, and they're counting them in the Bible, which tells you that God knows like they're counting them out. If, if they were one short, God would say, wait a minute, right? Because God knows. And God knows the details. And you know what I love about that? If God knows the number of knives and forks, because he does, he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. If he cares about the plates that came out of the temple, how much more does he care about you? Amen? You are his treasure possessions. Let's begin to looking at God's will, God's way, and God's time. God will even use those that are lost to bring about his perfect will in his perfect time. And it says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred in the spirit Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. So the first year of Cyrus, this king uh, known in history as Cyrus the Great, he reigned over Persia from 559 B.C. to 530 B.C. He captured Babylon in October of 538 B.C. And we know that from Daniel chapter 5. So we know down to the month when he overthrew Babylon. Again, it was Belshazzar. Remember the writings on the wall? You remember that? Persians are attacking and he's in there partying. He's having a drunken party with the utensils that came from the temple. And he's getting lit. And then all of a sudden what happens? A hand comes floating down and writes on the wall, meanie, meanie, TKL, you parson, right? And then he starts shaking and he's so petrified, his knees start knocking. And the Bible says he loosed his bowels. We know what happened there, right? And they call for Daniel and Daniel comes out and says, you've been found wanting, you've been judged by God and you're going to die tonight. That's a paraphrase. And he dies. And who wins? Cyrus. So now Cyrus is the king that took his place. And he's, he comes into the temple, and we're going to see that while well, Belshazzar was using God's implements to worship his false gods. And by the, by, the, by the way, the term, the writings on the wall, comes from Daniel 5. So when you hear people say, the writings on the wall, say, do you know where that came from? And they'll always go, no. And you say, would you like to know? And guess what? They'll always say, yes. And then you get to tell them 
about Daniel chapter 5. Amen? So, in the first year of his reign, it says there, so that's 538 BC, God gave King Cyrus a sense of urgency to give the children of Israel relief from their 70 years of Babylonian captivity. So in the first year as king over Babylon, having defeated them in battle, the Lord is going to stir his spirit to let the children of Israel return home. So he's not a godly man, but the Lord stirs his spirit nonetheless. Often when I pray, for like politicians or people in leadership positions that I know aren't saved. First, I pray for their salvation. And then secondly, I say, Lord, could you even use them in spite of it? Could you get them to do the right thing even though they don't know you? Lord, I pray that they would come to know you. That would fix all of it. Amen. But if not, Lord, would you stir them up to do the right thing? So Cyrus made a decree for them to not only return home to Jerusalem, but to go home, and we will see in a moment, to rebuild the temple. Now, it says there, in that word, it says, it says, it's Cyrus, the king of Persia, by the mouth of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12 says this, And this land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now, this was written 200 years earlier. I love this. They will serve for 70 years. God's word says so. And guess what? 70 years. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their, it, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So here we see Jeremiah prophesies it. He gives the exact number of years. Daniel would have known it. Other people that read, the, you know, read the, the scrolls, would have known it. And so 70 years, God says, at the end of 70 years, I'm going to overthrow Babylon, I'm going to wipe out their king, and I'm going to set you free. And guess what? After 70 years, that's exactly what happens. So it was by the mouth of Jeremiah, and God used an unsaved king like Cyrus, who was a pagan idolater, who worshiped every God in existence because he wanted to cover all his bases, and God is going to use even him. Now, why was it 70 years? Well, we know that when they went into the land of promise, that God told them, commanded them, that for every seven years, they would reap the harvest for six years and then take a year off and allow the ground to lay fallow. It was for two reasons. Do you know that farmers have found out that every seventh year, letting the ground is the best thing for the land? Have you ever driven by and you'll see all these crops, you'll see one of them just got nothing on it. They're letting it lay there for a year. It's in the Bible. God, God's a farmer. Who knew? Amen. He knows everything. He knows farming. So they were told every seventh year. And what it would also do is cause them to trust God because in the sixth year, he would give them a double portion, then they'd had to store it up, let it sit for the seventh year. Well, for 490 years, they never did it once. They just kept planting every year. Hey, if six years we made a lot, the seventh year will make even more. So they had 70 Sabbaths that they owed the Lord. 70 years of no planting. Well, guess what? He got them all back at once in Babylon. Because they're in captivity for 70 years, and the land of Jerusalem isn't growing anything for 70 years. And so, guys, we can either honor God and do it his way, or we can let God do it his way upon us. 
because we've disobeyed him. It's better to obey the Lord. Amen? Amen. 490 years without resting the land, and then it got a 70-year rest. Now, when King Jeconiah was taken captive in Babylon about 10 years after Daniel had already been in Babylon, some prophets in Babylon were beginning to say that the captivity was almost over, as I just quoted. And people in Babylon were starting to pack their bags. Dude, you got 60 more years. Relax, right? It says this in Jeremiah 29. Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, to the prophets, to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah, the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, and the craftsmen and the smiths all departed for Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elsa, the son of Shaphan, and Gomorrah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, all who are carried away captive, whom I've caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, go ahead and build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives, beget sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters to, your, uh, to husbands so that you may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished and seek peace in the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for its peace and you will remain there. He's telling them, you can go ahead and have a family, and then your kids are going to grow up, and then you're going to have grandkids, give them in marriage, because you're going to be there for 70 years. He's letting them all know, you got your bags packed, you're not going anywhere. You're going to be in Babylon this entire time. So remain there and know. Jeremiah was telling the people to pray for the peace of Babylon since they were going to live in it. It's not quite Babylon, but we live in California. And a lot of people are packing their bags to leave. And if God tells you to leave, God bless you. We love you and go do it. But we need some people to stay here and pray for Babylon. Amen. We need some people to stay here. And I think California is one of the biggest mission fields on this planet. And that's why we're here, to be salt and light. Amen. And so it also says in the other last couple of verses, for thus says the Lord of hosts, Jeremiah, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets, your diviners who are in the midst of you deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you're caused to dream. For they prophesy falsely in my name. I have not sent it, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed. So here's what happened. People have a dream and go, God said, we can leave next year. And he's saying, if they have that dream, it's not true. 70 years. Guys, when people have dreams, check it against the word of God. Amen? People will say, I went to heaven and I hung out with the Lord for a week. And then I, I come back with, no, you didn't. Because the Bible tells us that no man has seen God at any time. And you didn't go hang out with the Lord and then come back. You know that Paul got it. Paul's the only one in the Bible that got a glimpse of heaven. And he couldn't even talk about it because it was beyond description. So when guys come back and go, yeah, they have basketball there and they're playing there. And no, no, I don't think so. You might have eaten a taco and had a bad dream, but you did not go to heaven, hang out with God, and come back. Why? How do we know that? Because the Word of God says so. And so people have dreams, and they want to, don't put, look, can God give us dreams? What's the answer? The Bible says that, you know, that young men will prophesy and old men will dream dreams, I think, or it's the other way around. And, and so, you know, so I'm having dreams. I guess I'm an old man. So here's the thing. Yes, God can, but if he does, he'll always agree with the Word of God. And so even in this verse, all the way back in Jeremiah, it's like some of these guys, you have these diviners and these prophets, they're going to tell you it's time to leave. No, 70 years. 
Get comfortable. You're staying. Be salt and light. Pray for the peace of Babylon because I'm going to use you while you're there. So the lesson there is it may take longer than we think. You know, sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that since we're going through such a bad time, that the quicker, the quicker it is over, the better. And it will be over when God says it's over. You know, sometimes we go through such great trials and we just want it to be over. There's some trials that will never be over. You know, because like I'm reading in second, you know, first Peter, first Peter 4.10, this suffering is for but a little while. And, you know, right after my son Mark died, I'm like, how can it be for a little while? And the Lord reminded me, it's a little while compared to eternity. Not a little while on this planet, it's the rest of my life here. But that's something I will deal with for the rest of my life. It's a, it's a heartache I will have the rest of my life. But that's still nothing compared to eternity. Amen? Amen. That first hug in heaven will wipe out all the tears between now and then. You know what? It will be over when God says it's over. And God's decision when it will be over is based on his love, his plan for us, not our comfort. See, we pray and we want it sooner because we want to be comfortable. This is uncomfortable, Lord. I don't like this. The Lord's like, I never promised you comfort. That's why I sent you a comforter because you're not supposed to be comfortable. Amen? Amen. Holy Spirit's the comforter. So, you know, and we do this. We've all done it. When are you going to retire? As soon as I'm comfortable. How much money do you need to be comfortable, right? And we want to be comfortable. We don't want to be uncomfortable. Nobody buys an uncomfortable sofa. Can I get amen to that? Right? We want to be comfortable. But the problem is sometimes we can pursue comfort to the point of missing out on God's will. We don't want to do that. I pray that we live out loud for the Lord. We need to hang in there to the end. It says this in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is for but a moment, is working for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Those things you put your faith in that you can see, that bank account that you trust in. We should be good stewards of what God's given us. But those things are all temporary, and the things that are eternal are the things that we cannot see. Notice it says there that he he, he stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king. So the Holy Spirit can speak to unbelievers. Amen? Okay. And you've heard me say this before. Some of you haven't heard it, so bears repeating. Holy Spirit is either with you, in you, or upon you. We see it in the Bible. With. He's with everyone. That's how they know right and wrong. They call it their conscience. Well, I I know right and wrong. Well, how do you know? Because the only way you can know right and wrong is to hear from the Lord, because he's the one that decides what's right and wrong. Amen? So when I was calling on, I, I did prison ministry for 15 years. I'd go into prison and, and sometimes they'd let me talk to guys on death row or they'd let me talk to these guys who were lifers who were in solitary confinement. And I'd go talk to these guys and they knew right from wrong. Guys who killed seven people knew right from wrong. Well, how do we know right from wrong? It's the Holy Spirit with us. Amen. It's not your conscience. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, when, we, when we're saved, Holy Spirit goes from being with us to being in us. And it's a down payment on heaven, Ephesians chapter 1 says. So it's, it's ownership papers that you belong to the Lord, that you're heaven bound, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, the Bible also talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon you. In Luke, in Luke Jesus says to the apostles, it says he breathed the Spirit in them. And then he says, go and wait, and the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. It's where you get the term for being filled with the Holy Spirit or being baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
And so they went in Acts chapter 2, we saw the Holy Spirit fall upon them, right? Like tongues of fire, and the Holy Spirit was upon them. We saw Peter before the Holy Spirit was in him, was scared to death and ran and hid. And he got up and spoke with great boldness and 3,000 people were saved. So as believers, we want less of us and more of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We want us to decrease and him to increase. And I pray daily to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit because I leak. Amen? Every day we leak. So we want to be filled afresh. So God is speaking to Cyrus by the Holy Spirit who stirs him up to do this. And God can do that even in the life of an unbeliever. And he prays the Lord that he can. And he does because he's God. Now, what's interesting, in 1879, I love this. I'm really looking forward to going back to Israel because there's seven places, sites that I've never been to, and I've been there four times because they've all been discovered in the last 15 years since the last time I went. So Israel, every time you uncover dirt, you find more stuff that proves the Bible to be true. Well, and so 1879, so this is 538 BC. So it's 2,400 years later, they found a, archaeologists found a clay cylinder with the inscription on it by Cyrus. And here's an excerpt of what he wrote. May all the gods whom I have resettled in their sacred cities ask daily Baal and Nabu for the long life for me. And may they recommend me to him, to Marduk, my Lord. They may say this, Cyrus, the king who worships you and Capses, his son, all gods I settled in a peaceful place. I sacrificed ducks and doves. I endeavored to repair their dwelling places. In this writing, it's talking about how Cyrus wasn't just this way with believers. He was trying to get, let everybody go back and settle in their lands and try to get favor with their gods so he would have their bases covered. And here it is written in 1870. People crack me up. Well, the Bible is filled with... Con- no, it's not. The word of God is true, amen? By the way, you know who else was a contemporary of Daniel? Socrates. People... People uh, quote Socrates all the time, right? They quote that guy like it's, like it's the gospel, and they've got like five or six pieces of stuff he wrote. We have 22,000 manuscripts that prove the Bible to be true. Amen? They'll quote Socrates, but they, they, they'll reject Jesus. So Cyrus was not a believer. He was a pagan man who was being moved by the Lord and wanted to be covered by all the gods. And again, it's quite possible that Daniel was the instrument God used along with the Holy Spirit to stir up King Cyrus because he was a man of great influence and the kings came and went. And he may have showed the king the prophecies in Jeremiah and said, look, bro, here's what it says right here. After 70 years, let him go. So you might want to obey God. I wish more people would read the Bible and obey it. Amen? I'd like to to give a, I'll be happy to pay for a copy for our president. Then it says there, and he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. And he said, thus says King Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Wow. So the pagan king wins, and then he's stirred by the spirit, and it could be influenced by Daniel or others, And he makes this proclamation, and let me read it to you again. He said, all the kingdoms, he he said, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. He says, look, I won all these battles. It's only because God gave them to me. 
Boy, if all that stuff, that's the only verse you read, you'd think this guy was saved. You'd think this guy was a follower of the Lord. But you've got to read all his other stuff. Because at the moment, he's giving God the credit. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So for 70 years, the temple's been gone. For 70 years, no sacrifices, no worship, no Passover, uh, no Feast of Tabernacles, all of it gone. Living only amongst idol worshipers, caught up in idolatry of Babylon. And now it's going to be a pagan king that is going to send them back to reestablish the temple, to reestablish worship to the true and living God. The remarkable recognition of God's hand upon his life can be connected with the extraordinary prophecies regarding Cyrus. Here's some other things about Cyrus. This is amazing to me. The Bible rocks, okay? So here's what this says in Isaiah 44. Now this is 200 years before Cyrus. I misspoke when I said Jeremiah. Isaiah is 200 years before Cyrus. 200 years. Here's what it says. It says, who frustrates the signs of the babblers and drives diviners mad, who turns wise men backward, who makes their knowledge foolishness, who confirms the word of his servant, performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to, to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited, to the cities of Judah, you shall be built, and I will raise up her waste places, who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers, who says of Cyrus, 200 years before he's born, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid 200 years before this happens. 150 years before Cyrus is born. Guys, the Bible rocks. Amen. Reading on, it says, thus says the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus who the right hand I have held to subdue the nations before him, to loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I am the Lord who call you by name. I am the God of Israel for Jacob, my servant's sake and for Israel's elect. I have called you by name. I have named you, though you have not known me. This is why I think Daniel goes in. Cyrus, come here, bro. Let me show you something. Check this out. Do you know you're in this book? Let me show it to you. <laughs> Written 200 years ago. Your name's on here. Cyrus, look what it says. I will make your way straight. I will break down the bars. He, what he's saying is God gave me victory. It was written 200 years earlier that God was going to give him victory. Wouldn't it be cool to have your name in the Bible? You know what's a better place? Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. Amen? Cyrus's name in the Bible. Cyrus, unless something changes, is in the lake of fire. So I'd rather have my name in the Lamb's Book of Life than in the Bible. And my name is in the Bible, David. So praise the Lord for that, right? So Cyrus is not a comfort to faith in, in, in the Jews. He's a pagan polytheistic uh, man who puts his faith in all gods and idols and yet plays a major role in God's will for Jerusalem. And he says, he has commanded me to build him a house. We've talked about Josephus. Josephus is a Jewish historian. He is not a believer, but he was a historian in the first century. And he wrote stuff. And we, you know, it's amazing as I love to read a guy who didn't even know the Lord, who's take, keeping track of history and it agrees with what the Bible says, because this guy has no motivation to do so, right? 
So Josephus said this, this was known by Cyrus by reading the book of Isaiah left behind of the prophecies, for the prophet said that God had spoken thus to him in a secret vision. It was, it's been suggested that perhaps again, the prophet Daniel had a hand it, so he did. We know that he read it in Isaiah and that's how he knew. Because it says right here, Josephus wrote it. Now it's not in the Bible, but Josephus wrote it. You know how he knew? He read the Bible. And Daniel probably brought it to him. Hey, bro, check it out. Some of us would love God to give us plans that clear. Amen? Hey, bro, here's a book of the Bible. You're in it. Let me show you something. Well, guess what? We're all in it. For God so loved. Are you part of the world? You're in the Bible. Amen? If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be. Who's that for? All of us. Amen? So God's plan, Cyrus isn't the only one that God has plans for. He also has plans for us. It says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Don't fall into the trap of thinking you're not important enough for God to use you. He wants to use you. Amen? The enemy will tell you you're of no value. How could God possibly use you? Some of you in this room are the only Christians some people on this planet know. You're the only person that interacts with them. Some of you, you go to school and you're, you're the only Christian in the room or that they know. You go to your workplace, your neighborhood, you got family that doesn't know the Lord, and God puts you there for a reason, to be salt and light. Can God use prophecy? prophecy? He can. Can he use his word? He does. He can speak to your heart. He can use others around you to guide you. And sometimes, again, we just need to learn to trust in the Lord. So point number one, God will even use those that are lost to bring about his perfect plan, his perfect will, and his perfect time. So he used a man who wasn't even saved. He used a man who was a pagan idolater, and God used him to bring about his will. You know what? No matter what decisions all these leaders in the world makes, in the end, God's will is going to be done. So when we panic, when something horrible choices are made that are horrible, just know that when we're done, God's will is going to be done. Point number two, while many are called, few will respond. Look at verse three. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord, God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. So he's letting them know who among you are his people, Go be with God. Go be with you. Go home. You're free. I'm letting you go. You can return back to the land that you were ripped from 70 years ago. It's an opportunity if you go back to the land of promise. Who among you of all his people? Sadly, all of his people are told they can go home. That's what it says in the verse. Who among you of all his people? So how many of them were called to go back? How many? All of them. How many of us in this room have a calling on our lives? All of us. So they're all called. They're all given the opportunity to grow, go. But sadly, we will see only a small percentage of God's people will return from exile. God promised a remnant would return, but only a remnant. You know, in 1947, when Israel became a nation again, after every, uh, 1948, I believe, after, all, after you know, World War II, God used... World, the tragedy of World War II to soften the hearts of other nations to allow Israel to return to their land. And they were all invited back. And only a small remnant came. 
Same thing that's happening here in the same place many hundreds of years earlier. It says, let them go out to Jerusalem. We'll see from next week's numbering uh, and throughout the book that 49,897 will choose to go. Not, you know, the Bible's not exact or anything. But 49,897 people will choose to go. But most of the Jews will remain in Babylon. And many had gone from being farmers to merchants. And many become wealthy in Babylon and they were so comfortable they didn't want to leave. It says this in Matthew 13. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, cares for his world, cares for the world and the deceitfulness of riches. They choke off the word and he becomes unfruitful. You know, our seed is planted in the ground and we can get, you know, it starts to bear fruit, but if it's getting choked off amongst the thorns, we'll cease to bear fruit and we'll be happy just staying in the world. And God has called us to be in the world, but not of it. There may be a time when God wants us to make a move closer to him. And I hope I'm not too comfortable in this present world to leave what I'm doing to follow him. I don't say this from the pulpit anymore because I used to say it in Santa Cruz. I would say in Santa Cruz all the time, I will pastor this church till the day I die. And then God said, yeah, not so much. And so, but praise the Lord because I wouldn't have met you people. So praise God for that. Amen. Now, my heart is that I will pastor this church until the day I die. But God tells me to go to China tomorrow. I'm getting a U-Haul boxes and I'm moving. Amen. I mean, so we want to, you know, because the thing is we can get so comfortable that we don't want to move. And sometimes God does want us to move. Amen. And we need to be faithful when he tells us to move. And we want to hear that it's the Lord and not just, again, move by the Holy Spirit, not by Zillow. Amen. Okay. It's so easy to stay where it's comfortable and requires little to no effort. And those who remained in Babylon missed out on being used by God to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Verse 4, And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, beside the freewill offerings from the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. There are those that are faithful to go and step out in faith to leave the comfort zone and often to go to places they have never been, and, but they know they're called. And for those who remain, the exhortation in this case is to support those who go. You know, sometimes there's, you know, missionaries or people are sent out. Somebody's going to plant a church and maybe you don't feel called to go, but you recognize God's calling upon their life. So what can we do? We can support them when they go. Amen. And verse four is saying, look, and these will, will provide for them, help provide for them the things that they're going to need when they step out in faith. One quick example. Evertone and Natasha, okay? Evertone went to Bible college with my son, David. He's from Brazil. He moved here. His wife, Natasha, is from Ukraine. They met in Bible college in Santa Barbara. Brazil and Ukraine met in Santa Barbara. He then became a worship leader at a Calvary chapel in Arizona. He came and spoke at this church many years ago when we were still at the community center. Super gifted guy. He has a burden, meets with me and several other pastors to go to Brazil to plant a church. We as a church not only prayed for him, but we pay their rent. And we've been paying the rent for this church since they moved down there. It's probably been maybe three years, two and a half years. I don't know how long it's been. Time gets away from me. The older I get, the less I, I'm, I'm accurate, okay? But they've been down there quite a while. And he, a while back, maybe six months ago, they sent a video showing all these people getting saved and God's doing a great work and people are getting baptized. So the point is, he was stepping out in faith and because you guys faithfully give, we're able to help send him so that 
And we're not the only ones. There's a lot of other people supporting him. But I just said, look, we'll pay, let's pay your rent. I love church plants, by the way. So I said, let's, let's pay your rent. Let's take that off your plate. You don't have to worry about it. That's like 500 bucks a month. We pay the rent. And it's a, isn't it a blessing to know that because we give, and he went out, stepped out by faith, that because we support him, we share in the blessing of what he's doing. Amen? And we have so many things like that where, look, if you're not called to certain things, there are things you can get behind and you can support. Amen? So that's exactly what these people are being called to do. So for those that remain, the exhortation is to support financially those that go. And again, don't have to, uh, don't have, to have a burden to go, but to support those who do. I just love the sovereign hand of God directing history. He uses a pagan king to move forward his perfect will, doesn't choose for us, but moves on our hearts and uses our choices to move forward in his sovereign plan. God will stir you up to do something. A burden is the spawning ground of a calling. When God starts to stir you up, every time I've, I've done ministry in different places, I'm losing sleep. Like literally, God is stirring me up. I can't sleep. I can't do anything else. It's taking my entire focal point. And it's like, I remember walking into Don McClure at Calvary San Jose. I was teaching on a Sunday morning. Uh, I knew halfway through the message, I'm done. Time to go plant a church. Had no idea where I was going. I just knew I was done. And it was a God thing because about 70 people got saved that day, including my little brother, who I didn't even know was there. And after the service, I go out into the, I go out into the hallway. My dad's sitting there. He's got tears in his eyes over my little brother and he hands me a note. It's in my safe. It's one of my treasured possessions. My dad was a pastor for 60 years. And it said, son, during the message today, God had made it very clear that you're done here. And your mom and I want to go with you wherever you go to help you plant the church. I'm not called to be the pastor. You are. I'm called to hold up your hands. Now, when God moves on my heart and then confirms it in the heart of others, we end up going to Santa Cruz. We were there for 10 years. God did a great work. Three other churches were planted out of it. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? Point is that God is speaking to us and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and he's going to be prompting us at times. And it won't always be to move to a foreign nation or to plant a church, but it may be something else. And guys, we need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's just getting a Gatorade and going downstairs and giving it to the pest control guy, amen? You know, but God will stir us up and to bring those divine appointments about and the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth seeking one who can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. He's just looking for people to say, Lord, use me today, please. That's my prayer every morning. Lord, use me today. Someone needs a hug, use my arms. Someone needs a word of encouragement, use my lips. We're all called and gifted by God to be used for his glory. And may we not miss out on being used by the Lord, living a life that will impact eternity. Satan's decree is a miracle of God moving on a polytheistic pagan king to bring about his perfect will for his chosen people in the land of promise. So point number two there, while many are called, few will respond. We saw that all were called to go. Everyone who was free to go. And sadly, only a small number went. Now, small number is still about 50,000, but it's out of millions. Most of them stayed. Most of them just camped out in Babylon. They became Babylonians. They became Persians. And they did not go back to the land. Point number three, where God guides, God provides. Look at verse five. This is more of the same uh, in verse three and four a little bit. It says, then the heads of the fathers and the houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all whose spirits God had moved arose to go up and build the house of the Lord who's in Jerusalem. So notice who's going. The heads of the houses of Jerusalem and Benjamin 
Who were the two tribes that were still in Judah? Benjamin and Judah. So the heads of those families who were drug away into captivity, they're going to go back. That was their land. That was the land because the 10 northern tribes were Israel and the two southern tribes were Judah. So those two household leaders are going. Some of the priests and the Levites are going. But notice what else it says. And all who the spirits, God had moved, arose up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. He's saying these people went and everyone who the Holy Spirit had stirred up. So the people that were being stirred by the Holy Spirit responded in obedience and went. Guys, it's such an awesome thing when God moves that way and when you don't even know what's next and you step out in faith and then you get to see God do something great. And I tell you what, I, my heart breaks for people who never experienced that in a lifetime. You know, it's been said that church planting is base jumping of ministry. You just jump off the cliff and go, catch me, right? Because you go to a place where there's no people. When we planted this church, there was no people. <laughs> went to, found the community center with one of my coworkers. Calab- I went and met with Rob and those guys, and they're like, go to Calabasas or Moore Park. Moore Park had 27 churches. Calabasas had one. I said, well, I guess we're going there. Literally found a place, put an ad in the paper, Sunday night Bible study. They announced it at God Speak. The first week, we had 200 people. The second week, we had 12 because all the well-wishers love to come that first Sunday. I've got a picture. Tim was there. And people are there. You're know, like, hey, wow, look at this. And then the next week, you find out who's really there, right? Now, God grew the church. We got to see what God has done. People have gotten saved. God's been glorified. It's been a blessing. Amen? And I love to see God, where there's nothing, God creates something. And to God be all the glory. Amen? And it's great when you're on the front row with that. Like, there's nothing here. And watch what God will do with all these With all whose spirits God moved, though the returning exiles were a minority, they were a spirit-stirred minority. See, even though it was only 50,000 that went, the 50,000 that went had been stirred up by the Holy Spirit. It reminds me of like David's mighty men, right? Give me those who are called by God. They know they've heard from the Lord. Those guys will run through walls because they know God is for them. Amen? I don't want to drag anybody with me that doesn't want to go. Amen? And so this is why we don't go around and tap people on the shoulder to do ministry. Because if I tap you on the shoulder, you might do it for me. And if you do it for me, if I call you, I got to sustain you. And I I don't need to sustain nobody. I got to sustain me. Can I get an amen to that? So that's why we don't say, okay, we're short in the children's ministry. I need five people to raise their hands right now to sign up. We don't want that. You know what we want? Someone who's called. Amen? Someone who the Holy Spirit is stirring up. So many recognize this is a get-to. I get to do this. I want to do this. It's an exciting thing. And so these 50,000 people, a few short of that, have been stirred up by the Holy Spirit. And they're going in the power of the Holy Spirit back to the land. They're excited about it because God's going before them. And you know what? As they step out in faith where God guides, God truly will provide. They were dedicated to the difficult and discouraging task of returning to the ruined city and once there to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And it was essential that God move the spirits of these returning exiles because they're going to face difficulty. By the way, okay, we're all going. It's 900 miles. What? 900 miles. Oh, through the desert. 
going to take us three or four months. If you signed up and you knew it was the Lord, okay. Doesn't matter. Amen? God says it. Great. 900 miles. Sounds good. I'll be in shape. I'll lose some weight. Let's go. <laughs> right? Secondly, you're returning to a city with nothing. You're going to see ruins when you get there. It's not Oz at the other end. Amen? There's nobody singing any songs when you get there. You're going to get there and there's going to be ruins of what once was. And you're going to go in there and start over. So we're going to hike 900 miles and then when we get there, we're going to start building stuff. Who's, who's signing up? If God calls you, it's a get to, not a have to. Amen? They didn't have all the resources they needed. They're going to get some. They're not going to have them all. Often you have to step out in faith and then God provides the resources. Amen? I'll tell you a quick story. I won't use his name because I don't want to steal his gift. So decide on Calabasas. I go with a coworker who's not even saved. He helps me find a building. We find a building. I put money down on it. We're going to start on Sunday nights. I have no idea who's leading worship. I got nothing. We're just going to do it. And so they, they pray me out at Calvary God Speak on a Sunday night. They bring me in front of the church. They lay hands on me and they pray for me. So I'm leaving and there's a man standing at the back. And he's a man who I had done his daughter's funeral and we had gotten pretty close. But he says to me, do you know where I live? And I said, you know, I don't. He said, I live in Calabasas. He reached into his Bible and he pulled out a check. And it said Calvary Chapel, Calabasas. He had written it like six months earlier. And it was a check for a very large sum of money to help plant Calvary Chapel, Calabasas when God called me to go six months before I knew I was going there. So it's not about the money that was on the check. It's about the confirmation coming from God. Amen? Do you think? I was already in, but can you, I'm like, okay. <laughs> Amen? You get a little more. It didn't matter the money. That, wasn't, that was almost irrelevant. What it was was, look, I'm going to provide. And I already, had, I, I already knew you were, of course God knew I was going, right? And God had moved on someone else's heart. And guys, what that does is it's like, well, when the walls come, I know that God has me here and we'll just run right through them. Amen? When God calls you, God will sustain you. It didn't all return to Jerusalem, but spread out all over Judea. Some of them didn't even go to Jerusalem. They were in other parts of Judea and settling, you know, little farms out in the middle of nowhere because they had to repopulate the whole land. They had enemies waiting for them when they got back there. Oh, by the way, there's going to be nothing there except some enemies who want to kill you. The land was a possession of another empire. Again, so the odds seem overwhelming, uh, but led by the Holy Spirit, they're stepping out in faith. When I planted the church in Santa Cruz, and I was reminded of this when we planted this church, my senior pastor, Don McClure, called me in, and I, I've never forgotten it. I've shared it with many of you, so you've heard it before. He said, Dave, you need to know that you 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 know that you've heard from the Lord. He said, because once you know that you know that you know that you know, when you get there, all the problems are God's problems because you know God brought you there. The problem is when you think, maybe I'll try this, and you get there and there's problems, maybe I wasn't supposed to be here, right? That's a mentality. Well, you don't know that you know when you step out in faith, and then it crashes and burns. You think, well, I just missed God completely. When you know that you've heard from the Lord, then the problems are God's problems, and we're going to go full speed with your head down. Amen? And you won't be distracted. Santa Cruz, our third week there, they gave our, bill, our room in the building to a lesbian uh, play, and we had to meet out in the parking lot at night. And I'm like, well, God knew we were coming. 
And you know what happened though? We met outside at night and this gal came walking up because we had food on a table and she was all gothed out and uh, she came in and it was the first time she heard the gospel and she got saved and she writes me every year on the anniversary of when she got saved talking about how she had never been so loved in her life and she heard the word of God being preached and now she's got five kids who all love Jesus and she's on fire for God. So praise God we met outside. Can I get an amen to that? See, the, so when we know that God is in it, it doesn't matter what the, hey, we're being in a tent. It's cold, it's hot. Guess what? God has us here. Amen? We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out, right? We're gonna, by the way, the Jesus Revolution movie couldn't have come out at a better time, amen? All of a sudden, the tent is cool, amen? <laughs> and I don't mean a temperature, it's just cool. You know what? No obstacle is too great for God. When the Holy Spirit is prompting you, leading you, convicting you, trust, obey, and step out in faith. Guys, again, I don't want to draft anybody. I don't want to call anybody. And when someone is called, it's obvious. Amen? You look at certain things and you go, you know what that's called? That's called calling. Do everything with excellence as unto the Lord. Notice it says there, they rose up to go and build the house of the Lord they went to both, again, went with both a Holy Spirit calling. The Holy Spirit's not the author of confusion. Our God is the God of order. To go back to Jerusalem, but as importantly, is also to build the house of the Lord. See, they're going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, but even more importantly, is they're rebuilding the temple where worship would take place, where God would be glorified. Verse six, and all those who were around them Encourage them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with precious things besides all of that was willingly offered. So here's what happened. Those who didn't go, there were some who chose to remain that no doubt thought, man, I'm glad someone's going to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. I'm glad they're going to go back and rebuild the temple. And even though they may have stayed because they were comfortable there, they were also convicted enough to give them finances to help them, to give them riches that they might need so they could go and be successful. And again, while we may have a... Con now, here's the thing. If you ever sit with a missionary, you're always going to walk out feeling like you're worthless. Can I get an amen to that? You start talking to them like, well, yeah, so, you know, me and my family, I've got five kids and we live out in the, this jungle and we don't have electricity and we've, we've all been bit by spiders and lizards and, you know, we have alligator at our back door last week and, you know, we do all this and, and we've been there three years, but we led four people to the Lord and we praise God for it. And you're like, I'm worthless in a week. <laughs> I'm, such, I'm such a worthless human being. Look what they're doing for the Lord and look how little I'm doing, right? Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Don't worry about anybody else's calling. You be faithful to yours. You be faithful to do the thing that God's called you to do. We're not all called to be missionaries. We're not all called to plant churches. We're not all called to lead worship. We're not all called to serve in children's ministry. We're not all called to lead women's or men's, but some of us are. But all of us are called, amen? And you be faithful to do what God has called you to do. Notice they encouraged them. Their encouragement was more than verbal. It was material, Again, it was financial. It was standing up behind them. No doubt some of those, again, who chose to remain were happy and wanted to help. And again, like I said, it, that's exactly what we saw with Evertone and his wife, Natasha. By the way, pray for them. Calvary Chapel, it's Perube, I believe. Peruibi. I, I'm not, I'm, I don't know Portuguese. What is it? Peruibi? There you go. Pray for them. Church is doing well. Matter of fact, I saw a video today. They're going to be showing the Jesus Revolution movie there tonight. So 
Praise the Lord. So I just, I keep in touch with him and it's great that we get to be a part of that. That's like a, a church plant out of here. Final point, our God is a God of order and detail. Now we're going to finish up just looking here at, they're going to have all these things that they've captured from all these nations. We know that Belshazzar was drinking, getting drunk using the, the, some of the cups that belonged in the temple. But they'd taken all this stuff from the temple and brought it back. Unfortunately, it's not everything. But notice what happens as we close. It says, King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And, king, and Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This is the number, 30 golden platters. 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives, not 30, 29, they're counting. 30 gold basins, 400, uh, 410 silver basins of a similar kind, 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Shesbazar took with them the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. So they gave them all these riches. By the way, Shashbazar there, it's also, can also be, that's Zerubbabel. There's a different name for him. He's going to be the guy that leads them on their first, when they, Ezra's coming later. So they're coming on this first trip and they're going to come and they're going to be the contractors. They're going to rebuild the, 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 the city. They're going to rebuild the temples. Then Nehemiah is going to come later and he's going to rebuild the walls. And Ezra's going to come right around that same time. And he's going to be rebuilding the spiritual focus of the people. Because, okay, we got the walls up, but now we need to make sure we're honoring the Lord. Make sure we're worshiping the true and the living God. In Daniel chapter 5, again, Belshazzar is disrespecting these same items, using them in a drunken party. And here's this guy, Cyrus, again. He's not a believer. And he goes and gets what probably would have been millions, I don't know how many, whatever it's worth, millions of dollars worth of stuff and just says, here, take it back. That's God, amen? How many kings are giving away gold stuff? You know, they, they were stealing gold stuff. They would capture cities to take the gold stuff. But God can take and use even a man like Cyrus. He's now reigning the items from the house of the Lord in storage or in the temples of the false gods. He gathers them all up. He brings them out. They count them all out. He's a God of order. God knows how much stuff is there. God knows how much we have. God knows how we're using it. Amen? We need to be faithful and good stewards. These items are a clear connection between the now destroyed temple and the restored worship in the house of the Lord that had been moved by the Holy Spirit to return to Jerusalem and rebuild. Can you imagine how encouraging it would be knowing you're going back and thinking, we're going to have to build everything from scratch. And then all of a sudden they come in and go, here's all the gold platters. Here's all the gold this. Here's all of this. Here's all of this. And they're like, praise the Lord. You're planting a church in some, our church in Santa Cruz, our second week, a guy shows up with a really awesome sound system and said, oh, God put it in my heart to buy it for this for you guys. Can you use this? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Really? It was awesome. He, the soundboard, everything. And he, he, he went to heaven not long after that. And I found out what he paid for it. I was blown away. And his wife said, you know, he was a newer Christian. And he, he just said, God put it on his heart that you need a sound. He went and spent about $12,000. Brought it to our little church. 
and they still use it. All these 20 years later, they didn't use it in the main sanctuary now, they use it in the children's ministry and stuff. But God put it on his heart to do it. So was he called? What's the answer? And he didn't know, and I never knew, I didn't find out until after he was gone to heaven. And his wife said, he wouldn't give $20 in the offering at Calvary San Jose. And he came to your church one week and said, you know what? I think they need this. And he went out and bought it and brought it. Isn't that encouraging? It's just stuff, but you know what? Isn't it good? Okay, God's providing, amen? And so they're getting ready to go back. Okay, here's all the gold plates. Here's the stuff. Here you go. Here's the silver things. We're giving all this back to you. All this stuff was taken out of the temple. Here you go. Now, what's not listed here, we don't see the golden lampstand. We don't see the Ark of the Covenant. Some stuff that's, we don't know where that went, and it's not on this list yet, okay? That might be something they have to redo. So, Zerubbabel, again, the main chapter, one to six, he's going to lead the rebuilding of the temple, and it makes sense that these items that belong in the temple would be given directly to him. Notice they put them in his hand. Here you go. He's standing there counting it out. Here you go. Here you go. They're giving him all the stuff because he's going to be the one building the temple, and he's going to be in charge of it. Notice it says, this is the number of them. Our God is a God of order, in verse 9. The careful accounting of returned articles shows how valued they were and how carefully they were treated. And guys, if God keeps track of every knife and every platter, how much more does he keep track of all of us and how precious we are in his sight? Amen? Those platters have been somewhere for 70 years, and God kept track of them. And you know what? God's keeping track of you. He loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. Amen? It says at the end, there's 5,400 total vessels. There's only 2,499 listed in verses 9 to 10. Now, we're not going to get here until next week, but I'm just going to read verse 1 of the next chapter. And it says, now these are the people of the province who came back. So this is where we're going to get a list of all these people. And you're going to see this going for 70 verses. All these people that heard from the Lord responded in obedience. So I love how he does this because he says, they were all stirred by the Spirit, and then chapter two is, and here's who responded. Amen? They were all, I don't know how many people were, how many Jews were there, I don't know. Let's say it's a million, whatever the number is. A million were called, and 49,000, and he has it down to the number, 49,986, whatever the number was, responded. So do you see that the Lord keeps track of who responded? Amen? He calls, and then who responded? You heard, who's going to obey? The Lord's stirring you up. Are you going to sit there and wait? They said that a lot of churches are like football games. You got 50,000 people in the stands watching and 22 people on the field beating each other up and dying, right? And a lot of times, that's how ministries are. You have a few people serving and everybody else kind of participating. Now again, if you're a new believer, sit back and let us love on you. Let us disciple you. Let us minister to you. But you know what? I love it. There's people that, there are people, people that will show up at our church and in two weeks they're serving because they're just hungry and they want to. And you know what? I'm no, I don't want to guilt you in anything. I don't want you to do anything unless the Holy Spirit tells you to do it. Amen? But, but do this. Lord, what would you have me do? A lot of us are like, I don't want to pray that. He might tell me. Amen? <laughs> right? He might tell me something to do. I kind of like showing up you know, halfway through worship and eating a donut while I go into the, you know, sit in the back and then leave when everybody says amen. I don't have to meet anybody. Guys, God wants us to use our gifts for his glory. Amen? And I've seen so many people that came here. Do you know that Joshua Camper had barely taught the Bible when he got to this church? 
Getting a few home Bible studies with small groups of people. Has God done a work in that man's life? How about, how about Chris Ramirez? How about, I mean, just go down the list, right? We got, we got, a, we got worship, people in worship that are 18 and 19 years old, right? And God's doing a work, amen? And people are getting saved and God's being glorified and praise God for that. And some of you, Dana, had never taught before and now you're teaching. And praise God, amen? Amen? And Brandon started teaching just in time to leave. Brandon taught the men today. Last two weeks did a great job. God's going to use him wherever he goes. I'm fully convinced of that. Amen? So, God's will, God's way, and God's time. I like that. Amen? God will even use those who are lost to bring about his perfect will and his perfect time. While many are called, few will respond. Where God guides, God provides. And our God is a God of order and detail. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray tonight that we've all been stirred up by your Holy Spirit. Lord, may you call us, may you lead us, may you move us, and may we obey to do what you've called us to do. May we not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. May we not just want to be comfortable, but Lord, help us to step out in faith, to be used for your kingdom and your glory. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen.